Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Great job. Beautiful song. What a message. Thank you, choir, and thank you, praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in our worship. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. This morning, I want to share with you a message I've entitled, Open-Handed Generosity. Open-Handed Generosity. So we'll look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Malachi 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear, fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to worship you. Now I pray that you will speak to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, to our hearts, help us to clear our minds. And Lord, focus upon you at this time in our relationship with you. Thank you for your word. Help me, I pray, as I share in the right spirit to share this morning. Thank you for this message that you've given to me to share with your people. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to share with you a message, and I want to talk just a little while about money. About money. I told Kyle to send him a text and what I was going to preach, and he was going to fix the slide. He did a slide, and he texted me back several hours later and said, you only have three thumbs up for that message tomorrow. <laughs> and so, but I am going to preach about money. Do you know the last time that I preached about money? I preached about money in 19, well, 2000, I'm sorry, 2019 when we began to develop our three-stream method of giving here at our church. So if you said, well, every time I go to the church, he preaches about money, that means you haven't been here since uh, 2019 because this is the first time since. But for the next few weeks, I feel God wants us to learn about how to practice open-handed generosity. Now, I honestly believe that if you listen to the Spirit of God and not just be a hearer, but be a doer, take this message, take it home with you, 
work on this message and do what God would have you to do, God will, he will change your life drastically in a very positive way. Now, you might be wondering, well, what's the occasion that causes Brother Sammy to talk about money? Well, if you're going to be studying the Bible, when you study a book of the Bible, there are three things that you need to, to know before you open up and begin to study, or as you begin to study. First thing you know, you need to know who wrote the book. Let's say, for instance, we're going to study Galatians. If I'm going to study Galatians, I need to know who wrote the book. Well, Paul wrote the book. Then I need to know who his audience was. His audience was the church at Galatia. It was the Christians there uh, at Galatia. And then the occasion, what was the situation? Why did he write the book of Galatia? He wrote the book because um, there were several of those that uh, were saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Um, the occasion that persuaded Paul to write was a number of people had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. However, there were some Judaizers there uh, in the church, and they began to teach, and they began to try to persuade those that were saved by faith that, hey, you have to keep the law also. You have to be followers of the law also. And because of that, Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and he was simply saying that Christ is enough. You don't have to keep the law anymore. You, you trust Christ for your salvation. You place your faith and trust in him, and it's through him and only him that you're saved. It's not by the law. It's not by things that you do, but it's for by grace are you saved through Christ, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is the occasion? What's the cause of me coming today and saying, well, I want to talk about generosity, and I want to talk about open-handed open generosity? What would prompt me to preach a series of sermons on that? Well, I have about five things. I'm going to list them real quick. First of all, what prompted me? First, the Holy Spirit led me because of the economy. I mean, we're in a difficult time right now. So the question is, what happens in difficult times? Well, people tend to hold things more tightly in a difficult time. And so as a nation, we're in a difficult time right now. And so that was an occasion that allowed me to preach about money. Another occasion is because our mission endeavor. We give to missions. Last week, we had a person from Radical to come and share with us how we could, uh, how we could be used to reach the... Uh, uh, those that have never heard the gospel, the unreached three billion plus people who have never heard the gospel, who don't have the Bible in their language, who don't, who don't have the access, the access to the access to the gospel, and so that prompted me to preach the sermon on open-handed generosity. And then, um, uh, over the past two or three years, we've had a decrease in our ministry stream giving. Now, our ministry stream. Uh, those funds is what takes care of our everyday expense, our everyday operations here at the church. It pays the light bill, and it pays all the other bills, and it pays the salary, and it buys the equipment. I came in today, or Kyle came in and said, pray, we've got projectors that won't come on. We've got computers that won't come on. We've got to do something. We've had this equipment for 14 years. We're going to have to get some more equipment. And so there's been a decrease in giving to the ministry stream, and so that was a good occasion to address this and bring this to the church. Another reason that we have some young adults, some in 20s and 30s and 40s, 
perhaps who, they have a, they're great visionaries. They want to see things done at the church. They want to see things happen at the church. But it's obvious that the majority have never been taught the importance of biblical stewardship in the homes from which they came. Now, I remember when I was growing up, my parents taught me about stewardship. I never went to church as a child unless my parents didn't give me at least a dollar to give in the Sunday school offering. That's the way I was taught. I was taught to give from a child. Even I taught our children to give as, as children. And when I reached teenage years and had a part-time job, I gave uh, my gift to the church. Uh, even as a teenager. And so I was taught, now, that's not been taught in homes now. It's been taught, I know, in our preschool class here. Judy does a good job. Our children's church does a good job. So parents, teach your children. When we go to church, we need to give our offering to the Lord for the work of ministry. That was an occasion for me to preach. But number five, number five, uh, I wanted to preach this also because of what the average American Christian gives. Would it surprise you for me to tell you that the average gift of the American Christian who gives, now some don't give, but the ones who give, the average is 2.5% a year. So if they make $20,000, they'll give $500. If they make $30,000, they'll give $750. If they make, make $60,000, they'll give $1,500. That's 2.5%. If, if they make $100,000, they'll give a whopping $2,500 to the Lord out of $100,000. And let me mention this. Over one, one in four say they give zero to the church not even $5. So that's where we are. And we wonder what's happening in the stewardship of our churches. And so they give 2.5%. Some give, don't even give $5. And we have people in our church who have a great capacity to make a difference in the kingdom work, but they haven't learned how to open their fist and give. Now, the context of Malachi 3, let's look at this. God's people have just uh, left Babylon. They've come out of exile and they've returned to Jerusalem. And they've come back under the leadership of Nehemiah, the prophet is Malachi. They began a reconstruction process of the temple, of the temple wall, of the temple gates. They reconstruct the wall around Jerusalem. They reconstruct the city gates. They begin work on the temple. Then they begin to construct their houses. Now, while, while there's been reconstruction of God's home, of God's house, and their houses, there has not been a renovation of their hearts. While they have reconstructed God's house, reconstructing their house, or constructing their house for the first time, there has not been a renovation of their hearts. The point is, they have returned, but their hearts are still far away from God. Now, let me give you an example of that. After they got back and began this building process, they began to marry into the Canaanite, Canaanite culture. God told them to, to don't go outside their culture, to stay within their culture. Second example, they began to neglect God's law. 
And so the prophets at that time, especially Malachi, they were saying, hey, what's wrong with y'all? What's wrong with you? This, this behavior is what led you into captivity. Now you've returned and you've reverted back to the same old lifestyle. And one of the things that Malachi had to deal with was they were misusing God's resources. Misusing God's resources. Now in Malachi 3, look at that if you will. In verses 6 through 8, you'll notice there's a problem. What's the problem? Verse 6, the Lord said, I am the Lord. Uh, I love me. I just thought they were, just a few minutes ago when our children's church was up there and they quoted the scripture and how God never changes. God says, I never change. I do not change. Verse 6, that means he's, he's, uh, he's consistent. He's faithful. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his word. Everything he promises comes true. God never changes. So the point is, although God never changes, his people have changed. They've turned away. And they needed to be brought back to the Lord. In verse 7, what did they say? They said, well, what way do we return? What way do we return? Look at verse 7, the last part of that verse. It says, in what way shall we return? That sounds like they're ready to return. That sounds like, Lord, just tell us how to return, and, and we'll return. But that's not the tone. It sounds like they're ready to return, but that's not the tone they were using. You know, the tone was really, what do you mean, God? God, what do you mean? Malachi, how have we left? How have we walked away? Hey, Malachi, you proved to us that we're not walking with God. Prove to us. You know, I have found in ministry that most people appreciate a message that will help them. When they'll go out on Sunday morning, those that have been touched by God's word, they'll say, man, I appreciate that word, Brother Sammy. Or Brother Sammy, I really needed that. Or Brother Sammy, I felt like you were just talk you were speaking to me. Brother Sammy, I appreciate God really worked in my life today. They appreciate a message when they feel like that that they can apply it to themselves and apply it to their life and change their life. But most people appreciate that until it's a topic to where they say, no, no, don't go there. I mean, money, come on now. There's other things in the Bible besides money. Don't go to money, whatever you do, no. Whatever you say, that's private, that's between me and God. You can't judge me and say, Malachi, you can't judge me and say, I'm not walking with God. And then they get stiff-necked and they get hard-hearted. Have you ever been there? Has that ever happened to you, that you've been in church and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit touches on something that just really burns deep inside you and it aggravates you, or even comes to the point where it makes you mad? might be that place this morning. But the point is, God was confronting his people about a real problem. So what was the problem? They had turned from God, from withholding their tithes and offerings. Now, don't miss this. This passage starts off with a spiritual problem. And then, now, it turns to an economic problem. Now, meaning that God draws a line. Now, listen, God draws a line from your spiritual maturity to your financial generosity. 
This is the baseline. So he draws a line from your spiritual maturity to your generosity. So does your line go this way? Are you maturing spiritually in your generosity? Or does this line go, does it go this way? Now, he was, he was observing Israel, and he was observing their, their spiritual line and their generosity, and it wasn't going up, but it, it was coming down. Someone has said that I can tell you about your spiritual life by looking at your checkbook and your calendar. I can look at your calendar and tell, and tell you what's important to you. I can look at both of those books. I can look at your bank book. I can look at your calendar and tell what you're investing in, the things you're investing here on earth, and the things that you have of eternal value what you've invested in eternally. Give me the checkbook and your calendar, and I can see where you're growing spiritually, how you're maturing spiritually. I can write a story of your life by just looking at your money and looking at your time. And on a personal note, I can tell you that's also true in my life. And that's probably what Jesus that's probably why Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and he did hell. Because money is, is often a marker of your spiritual maturity. He made over 800 references. There's over 800 references about money in God's word. Far more than heaven and hell. And so a marker of our spiritual maturity has a lot to do in what we do with our money. So pay real close attention. The way that I handle money says so much about what we think about God and how we walk with God. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. So a person can can come to God only by faith. That's the only way. Faith in God, trusting God. It's not through your works, but it's by faith. For by faith are you for by grace are you saved through faith. So I'm saved by, by faith, by trusting God. So without faith, it's impossible, the Bible says, to please God. David Daniels said this. He said, now listen, for most people, their money is their final frontier of faith. You know, I remember when Alaska was the final frontier when I was a young kid. That was everybody was talking about how big and wide Alaska was, and no one had really conquered Alaska as far as knowing anything, all things to know about Alaska. And then they said, what's the last frontier? John F. Kennedy said, outer space is the last frontier. But Daniel says, for most people, their money is their final frontier. In other words, opening up their hands and trusting God with their retirement and with their, with their paycheck and with all the things they have, it's just kind of difficult. They've never reached that point of faith to open up their hands and trust the sufficiency of God. And at the same time, saying, God... I really do trust you. I trust you with everything. You know, I, I prayed in my entire ministry. I remember when Judah and I, when I surrendered to preach and, and um, um, 
we, we decided to go, God calling us in the full-time ministry, and we stepped out on faith, and we trusted God for We didn't have a place to live. We didn't have a place. I didn't have a place to work. And, and I said, God, I, I told you that I'd go full-time when you called me, and so uh, I'm going full-time. And then I look back over the years and how we did that when I began, and my prayer has always been since then, God, give me enough faith at the end of my ministry, give me as much faith at the end as I had at the beginning. All sufficient faith. David Daniel said this, he said a closed, clenched fist is often the proof of a small faith. He says, if, if I'm selfish with my wealth, it's often an indication of my spiritual poverty. And so this was the problem for them in Israel. And this is the problem of so many today. So first there's a problem. Now there's a twisted priority I want to mention. A, prior, a problem, a twisted priority. Now, the people were accused of robbing God. Now think of that. They were accused of robbing God. What's, what's a robber? A definition of a robber. This is a definition of a robber. A person that takes something that doesn't belong to them. Or a person that withholds something that rightly belongs to someone else. And so there are two biblical principles that you have to remember in order to, to give uh, open-handedly. And give generously. Two principles, and I want to share those with you. The first one is the principle of ownership. The ownership. You'll never be able to, to give open-handed, generously, unless you understand the principle of ownership. And I want to define that principle, and I can do it with about four words, I guess. It doesn't belong to five words, you. Or it's not yours, three words. The principle of ownership is... It doesn't belong to you. doesn't belong to me. That's the principle of ownership. Listen, if you will, at Job chapter 41. Job 41, verse 11 says this. Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. Everything under heaven is mine. Look at Psalm, Psalm verse 20, uh, chapter 24. Verse 1, Psalm 24, verse 1. Listen to God's word. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. You see, there's no such thing as God's pile and my pile. It all belongs to Him. If you, it, <clears throat> this morning when I woke up, I woke up to God's, God's day. I got out of God's bed. I stepped out on God's floor. I walked into God's kitchen. I ate God's food. I took, a, I took a shower in God's shower. I put on God's clothes. I got in God's automobile, went out of God's house, got in God's automobile, drove to God's house, got out on God's green earth, came in this house, and listen to the music, the sound system, watch the music on the projectors, God's projectors, God's sound equipment, came in to worship the God who owns everything, even you and even myself. 
The principle of stewardship, the principle, first of all, it's ownership. The ownership, you have to understand the principle of ownership. We don't own anything. And the principle of stewardship, we have to be good stewards. We have to be good managers. Principle of ownership. Another principle, you've got to combine these two, and that's the principle of stewardship. So a steward is a manager. A steward is a manager that has been instructed by someone else to manage on, on their behalf. Take, for instance, a babysitter is a steward. You leave your children with a babysitter. They're, they're a steward. They're managing your children while you're away. Take, for instance, if I go borrow a drill from Terry, uh, I'm, I'm the steward. And I use the drill, and I take care of the drill. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. He may call it, want it back, and when I finish, I'll give it back with him. What about a financial manager? It manages your money. That's your steward of, quote, your money. So the point is, the problem of Israel was they had not stewarded what belonged to God. They had not managed properly what belonged to God. Do you know what makes a poor steward? The abuse of the resources. You know what makes a poor babysitter? When they abuse the child in some way. So to abuse a, a steward, to, to abuse the resources that belong to God is kind of like unthinkable. Another thing that, that makes a poor steward is, is apathy. They just don't care about, about what they have that belongs to God. Matthew chapter 25, read that chapter when you have an opportunity. But you remember a king went away and he left, uh, he had three servants and he gave five, one five talents and one two talents and one one talent. The one that had five talents went out and made five more. One that had two went out and, and made two more talents. And the one that got one talent, he went out and dug a hole and buried his and didn't do anything with it. Then the master came back and they had to give an account. And the master was pleased with the one that gained five with his five and one that gained two extra with his two, but he was very upset and troubled with the one that just had apathy and didn't do anything with it, with the resources that he left him. And so what are you doing for the kingdom with the resources that we've been left with? The point is Israel was indicted by God because they were poor stewards. They'd misused what belonged to God. And by withholding what belonged to God, they could be accused of doing nothing. And by doing nothing, they, become really, they became really thieves. And so here's what they should have done. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10, Malachi chapter 3. Verse 10, he tells them what they should have done. He says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And I'm not talking about tithing today. I'm talking about being a good steward. We're going to talk about tithing later on in a couple of weeks. But we, we'll talk about that later. But we need to see what God wanted them to do. He says, bring you all the tithes, 10%, 10% of the fruit, 10% of the grain, 10% of what comes off your land. Bring that into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse was an extra room there in the temple. Um, probably had several extra rooms where they would put all these this tithe in, all the grain in, and, and whatever the farmers brought in, they'd put it in these storehouses, storerooms, you might say. And the priest, the priest, they didn't, the only thing they had was the, the temple. They didn't have any other job except to take care of the temple and to take care of worship. 
And the temple, to, uh, the priest depended on those things and the storehouses to live and to be able to, to serve God and take care of God's house. And so when the people of God would bring some of the resources of God to the temple of God, it made it possible for the priest of God to do the worship of God. So the point is the generosity of all the people allowed the priest to prioritize worship for the people. That was the purpose of bringing their tithes to the storehouse. It, it was to allow the priest to, to work at the temple, to live at the temple, and to prioritize worship at the temple. So the problem in the text was not that they were not giving God's money. The problem was they were withholding from God the worship that was due God. So this is why generosity to the church is important. Now, we have a lot of things, organizations, secular clubs, that, that want funding. They want our, our funding. I mean, you have, I was just thinking, uh, yes, they have the Boy Scouts, you have the Cancer Institute, you have certain hospitals, you have NRA, uh, you have, uh, on all those things are fine. You have all these different pet organizations. All of that is fine, but God has called us to take the resources that he's provided us, placed in our hands, placed in our pockets, placed in our accounts, to return them, to steward them in a way that will lift up Jesus to those that are around us, to those that are our friends and our family and our friends and our city and our town and and our county, and our state, and North America, and then outside the borders of North America. That's the purpose of why God gives us the resources we have today. God wants you and me to take what God owns in our pockets, in our accounts, and return some of that to make God famous, to lift up his son to, to those that are around us. And when we choose to steward God's wealth, it proves that we have prioritized Worship in God. This is part of worship. You know, when the plates are passed, that's just not a time to, that's not intermission time. That's not a time just to toss something uh, in an offering plate, but it's a time of worship. That's when we come together and worship with our giving. And so people of God missed it then. And what I'm praying is that we don't miss it now. And so there's a, there's a twisted priority and then there's a promise. I'm going to close with the promise. Look, if you will, at verse 10. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there'll be not, there will not be room enough for you to receive it. Notice what God says. He says, Try me. He says, Test me. Remember, every time God says, test me, test is always tied with trust. God has said, I want you to trust me. God says, I encourage you to trust me and see if I will not prove to you that I'm faithful, that I'm sufficient. Deuteronomy 28 talks about a storehouse in heaven, talks about a treasure in heaven, where God promises to pour out blessings to those who trust him with their resources. Luke chapter 6 Luke chapter 6, um, verse 38. Listen to this. Luke 6, verse 38. 
Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. Proverbs chapter uh, 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We'll look at verse uh, 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or in necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and he's able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have all sufficiency in all things, may have all abundance for every, for every good work. And so this is where the... The, you know, this is where the prosperity gospel comes in uh, with some denominations. They'll say, well, look, if you'll, if you'll give five, God will make it ten. If you'll give ten, God will make it twenty. If you give fifty, God will make it a hundred. If you'll give, if you'll give God less, then, uh, you know, God will give, he'll give you more. You see, that, that's not faith giving. That, that's kind of like a scam, really, to be honest with you, to get God's money. Someone has said the reward of faith. Here's the reward of faith. The reward of faith is finding God sufficient to take care of you. That's the reward of faith. That's what you're going to get in return. You're going to have the assurance that God is sufficient to take care of your needs. So the reward in trusting God is finding the moment that you can just let go, finding more joy and finding more contentment and security and finding the freedom. It's finding that God is sufficient for everything you need. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says, If you'll give, you'll find yourself on top. You'll never find yourself beneath. You'll, you'll always be on top. You'll always find God sufficient. You know, I, I've never met a miserable generous giver all generous givers i've ever met are always happy in the lord and and so they give and they discover that god can always make provide restore everything that they give some of you know what i'm talking about you're sitting here and saying, I know exactly what you're talking about, Brother Sammy. I know, I know God has blessed my, my generosity in the past, and I know he'll do it in the future. Some of you today are about to discover it. You're thinking, you know, I believe I'm going to be an open-handed giver, a generous giver. And, and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to take you at your word. You know, the pastor says this is true. I'm going to believe your word, and I'm going to begin today, and I'm going to give. I'm going to be an, I'm going to be an open-handed, generous giver. I'm going to open my hands, and I'm going to find you sufficient. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you, and I thank you for a time that we've had just to talk about uh, giving and hear your word and how you challenged us, Lord, and gave Israel as an example. See the problem, Lord, they had. I see that problem. I see that uh, uh, twisted priority there. I see the promise. And so today, Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, for what we have. 
I thank you for the jobs that people have. I thank you for the resources that you bless us with. And so, Father, I pray that we'll understand through your word today that we can take your resources and, Lord, that we can, we can bring generous amount to you. And, God, you'll take that and you'll use it to lift your son up here in our community, our little town, our state, North America, and across the borders, other lands. And, Lord, we can have a part in that. Help us to be uh, open-handed believers to give. God, I know you've taken care of me in the past, and I know you're going to take care of me in the future. Thank you for this time together. And I pray, Lord, you would speak to our hearts during this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I... Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you.